better than I deserve. Hallelujah. That's the grace of God. Manifested in his goodness is the blessings of God. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 tonight, if you would. And uh, I want to start to preach a, a series on the cross. We're coming up to Easter and uh, Resurrection Sunday. I get, I guess, I, I guess the older I get, the more I laugh at people. I've, you know, we've called it Easter my whole life, and then you have a group of brethren that nitpick. Well, it's not Easter; it's Resurrection Sunday. Okay, it is Resurrection Sunday. I, you know, Easter in the Bible is not talking about Resurrection Sunday, and I know that. So, I. You call it whatever you want to. I know what it is to me. It's the, the day that I celebrate Jesus coming out of the tomb. Amen. <laughs> so you call it whatever you want to call it. Right. Ain't about Easter bunnies, by the way. Amen. Matthew chapter 16. And I, I want to lay some groundwork before we get to verse 21. Now Jesus is uh, uh, going to the cross. He realizes that his his goal or his the will of God for his life the will of God for his earthly ministry is the cross right I mean that's that's where he's going and so he comes to chapter 16 and and again his disciples really are not understanding the plan of God and so he's given them parables he he's plainly come out and told them but they're still not understanding exactly what he's trying to say and so we get to chapter 16 and uh, he's telling others, I, I've, the Bible said in verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came tempting, uh, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. That's where a lot of people are. God, I'm not going to believe it until I see a sign from heaven. And he answered unto them, when it is evening, uh, ye say it, is, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering he said, O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the time. And then he said this, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. So if you can't be moved with knowing the word of God and having faith in him, and you've got to have a sign to get you to do anything, he said, that's a wicked and adulterous generation. And then he goes on to tell his disciples, he, he tells them uh, about the, the uh, leaven of the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, they still don't get it. They thought that because they didn't bring bread with them, he was upset. He said, don't you remember the loaves and the fish? And they were like, yeah, we got that. And then he goes over to uh, verse uh, uh, number 16, or verse number 14, and uh, in 13, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom, uh, whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, to me, if he saw him as that, if he understood that, then he would understand the plan of God, right? I mean, it, would, it would be, should be more clear to him what, why Jesus had come to earth, that he didn't come at that time to set up the earthly ministry, but he came to go to the cross. And he goes to verse uh, 
17, he said, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I mentioned this, uh, looking at that scripture, the Bible said the, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, that's interesting to me because gates are a defensive uh, mechanism, right? Gates are to keep people out. It's not an offensive weapon. So it seems to me like the Bible's telling us we're to be on the offense against hell and that the gates of hell cannot prevail. We're, we're looking at the church as we're defensive and the gates of hell are offensive coming after us and gates are defensive positions that are locked to keep people out and tells me we ought to be on the offense, not the defense. But he goes on all the way down to verse 21 uh, and he says this, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem. Now that doesn't say should go. said that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well that in, in a nutshell tells us the whole reason for his earthly ministry. He said he must do this. It's the will of God. It's the plan of God. And so in this scripture, uh, even before this, but he's, he's clarifying in this scripture that Christ foresaw the cross. In other words, it was not an afterthought for Jesus to die on the cross. It was the plan of God the whole time. And he and his followers are about to leave familiar places and faces and plunge into perilous times. And he's preparing the disciples for what's to come. Again, understand where they are. They're thinking that Jesus is going to come and set up the kingdom and all their worries and all their troubles are going to be over. Well, they're getting ready to see him march into Jerusalem and be hung on an old rugged cross, die, be buried in a borrowed tomb, and then uh, they are supposed to have faith and believe the word of God that Jesus would rise on the third day just like he said he would. Now we look at it and go, well, they should believe that because they walked with Jesus. Well, may I say this? There's a lot of people sitting in our churches that don't walk with Jesus and they won't believe the word of God, what he tells them. So don't be so hard on the disciples because they physically walked with him when you and I have the completed word of God. They did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They did not have the Romans road. Uh, they didn't have all that. You and I have the completed word of God to show from Genesis to Revelation the power of God and the plan of God. Yet even among us who call ourselves Bible believers, everybody doesn't follow it. And so he is describing not only what will happen to him, but once again the cost of following him. There's a cost to follow Jesus. Now he lays before them the mystery of the passion and the love of the cross, and he paints a picture of what he saw in eternity past, the suffering of the sinless for the sinner. Jesus is sinless, we're the sinner, and he's painting that picture that this was the plan of God from the foundation of the world. So what do we learn as Christ is foreseeing the cross? Number one is the anticipation of the cross. And notice what the Bible said in verse 21, uh, from, the time, uh, from that time forth Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem. So the anticipation was this, that the certainty of it all. 
it was certain that he was going to the cross. Well, how do you know that? Because he spoke it. It's the word of God. The word of God is always certain. And so the word must means it is a certainty, right? It must take place. He must go unto Jerusalem. So it was all the plan of God. It was not an afterthought. The Jews didn't hang him on the cross. The Roman soldiers didn't hang him on the cross. He didn't need to call 10,000 angels to take him off the cross. It was the plan of God, and he chose to be up there. Your sin and my sin hung him on the cross. He had to die for you and I to have eternal salvation. And so therefore, God's word is true and final. So the certainty of it, he must go to Jerusalem. You say, well, where's the free will? The free will is he chose to do it. So there's the certainty of it all, but then, then there's the complexity of it. See, God had a standard for the perfect sacrifice. Now again, we, we've studied this and, and even in, in weeks forward we'll look more at it, but you need to understand and I need to understand that God had a requirement when you go to the Old Testament sacrifice, not any lamb could do. God specified exactly, exactly what he wanted in a sacrifice. By the way, God also specified exactly what he wanted in worship. If you go back in the Old Testament, two old boys were killed because what they offered unto God was strange fire. In other words, they offered what they wanted to offer God instead of what God required. That's good preaching right there. I'll just give God what I want to and he'll be satisfied with it. No, no, that's not how it works. See, God has a requirement of what pleases him. The Bible says it's sweet-smelling savor to him. And he's saying if you're going to bring uh, certain sacrifices, here's the requirement. They must be without spot or blemish. He lays out the foundation of what they must be. And so if that's the Old Testament sacrifice, it has to be sacrificed each and every year. No doubt the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, is going to be perfect. Amen. He's not a God. He's the God. He's not a sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. So, so we look at that and God had a standard for the perfect sacrifice. Hey, by the way, the word standard is not a curse word. You can have some standards in life and you're not a legalist, by the way. Amen. I know that's it today. If you have any standards, you're a legalist. But by, by the way, legalism is adding to... Uh, salvation, adding works to salvation, not having some convictions and standards, by the way. Amen. So, so when we look at this, God had a standard for the perfect sacrifice and not just, listen, John the Baptist couldn't die for you. Mary, the mother of Jesus, could not die for you. Elijah couldn't die for you. You can't even die for yourself. The fact is, it took God saying, I have to have a perfect sacrifice and they examined Jesus. He went to Jerusalem and they examined him. I'm getting ready to have myself a time. Even, even the examiner says, I find no fault in him. They didn't even want him, hallelujah. They still, all the accusations they had, they couldn't put two of them together to accuse him. And it wasn't until he claimed and he, he proclaimed that he was the son of God that they said that's blasphemous. They couldn't find anybody that, that could, that could uh, dispute his story. But then when it's all said and done, you remember that I find no fault in him. 
You know what they were saying? He's perfect. He didn't come to overthrow the law. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to show that the perfect sacrifice, Jesus could do everything, every jot and every tittle. So Jesus had to fulfill every minute detail of the law. There's nothing he left undone. Right? So when, when, when Jesus died and there was no sin found in him, the sinless for the sinner, he was, and he said it's finished, it was finished and still is finished. Every sacrifice had been filtered out to find the perfect sacrifice. They'd say, well, that one's not, here's a small blemish, here's a small blemish, that will not work. Well, they examined the Lord Jesus Christ and then even, remember this, even after he died, that centurion soldier said, truly this was the Son of God. Now for 2,000 years, they've been, trying to, they've been trying to discredit. It wasn't just the, hey, it wasn't just the uh, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees said, listen, put some guards out there because uh, the disciples are going to steal him. And then they paid them boys off and said, now here's the story you got to tell. And they told the story. But guess what? You go over to is it the book of Acts and they had all those, it wasn't just 12 of them. It was hundreds of witnesses that had saw him resurrected. Hallelujah. That's what we're to be today. Amen. They can discredit the Lord Jesus Christ, but he ought to have enough witnesses because of a transformed life that they can say whatever they want to about the Lord Jesus Christ, but you'd be willing to lift your hand up and say, no, he transformed my life. Only a risen Savior can transform a life. Amen. So the complexity of it all was that though it's complex to us, it was simple to God because he's the one who came up with it. So the anticipation of the cross, but then the necessity of his suffering. Well, we have to examine, first of all, the cause of his suffering. Well, what was the cause of his suffering? Sin. Your sin, my sin, mankind's sin. I mean, that's it. He didn't come, by the way, so we could have a holiday. He didn't come so we could have Lent or whatever in the world Lent is, Right? Oh, that stuff you got out of the dryer vent. He came so that you and I could have eternal life. And the reason we need eternal life, because of our sin, death was required. We won't go into that. You know that. The wages of sin is death. Uh, when Adam sinned, uh, there was a requirement of something be sacrificed to cover the sins of mankind. And so the, the cause of his suffering, right, is sin. And by the way, it's still sin. You know what breaks God's heart? Sin. You know what's still breaking his heart today? When we sin. I believe it breaks heart even more, Brother Johnny, when we sin and don't confess it. Right? When we, when we sin and won't acknowledge it. When we sin and make excuses for it. When we sin and we won't come to the cross, we won't come to the altar, we won't say, Lord, I've sinned, please forgive me. We won't even acknowledge it or we'll blame somebody else. Listen, may I say it still breaks the heart of God because sin separates us from God. It separates us in our fellowship with Him. You can't pray when you've got all in your heart, right? You can't pray when things are not right between you and your brother and sister in Christ. You can't do it. Might as well save your breath. Well, I believe there's probably a lot of Christians, Brother Matt, must be like that because they probably just don't pray. It, hey, 
You'll feel a whole lot better. You'll feel a whole lot better if you'll let some stuff go. Right. Amen. Amen. I was listen. I know you listen. I met people, and I know you have. They are miserable. They are always miserable. And their misery, they blame on everybody else, right? You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how you don't know how family is. I got family. I even got some crazy family. You probably don't have crazy. We got we got crazy in our family. Don't don't you laugh because you got it in yours. We go we go we go looking in your family tree far enough. I'll guarantee you got some crazy down there somewhere, right? And they hurt you, right? And they say things and they do things and they do things to your kids. Guess what? Church people same way. They say things and they do things to your kids and and it grieves you and you're mad and upset and can't have come to church and worship God because you're mad at somebody else. Now, I'm telling you right now, you can do that all, but that grieves God. Because I said it this morning, he's looking at us going, you know what, with all I've forgiven you and you can't forgive them for that little petty thing? Huh? Amen. I'm just saying that the cause of Jesus going to the cross is sin and it's my sin and it's your sin. Amen. And not only that, the completion of it. Salvation could not be completed without the death of Jesus. Couldn't. He, he must, that's what it says in verse 21, uh, he must go unto Jerusalem. Why? He wasn't going for a social call. He wasn't going for Sunday dinner. He was going to the cross. He was going to die. He must, it was necessary. And all of the miracles, think about this, all the miracles, all of the healing would be, mean nothing without his death. Wouldn't mean nothing. My work is not complete not accomplished except I die. That's, right. That's what he's saying there. All the good I've done is not complete until I die on the cross. That's what he's trying to get the disciples to see. Yeah, I healed these people. Yeah, I did miracles. I fed these people. But the work is not complete until I go to the cross and die. So the necessity of his suffering and then number three, his willing acceptance of the necessity. See, he said, he said uh, verse 21, from that time forth Je began Jesus to show unto his disciples. So, so they didn't take him by force, by the way. He knew it. He knew what was coming. Matter of fact, remember when he went up and prayed, not my will but thine be done. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Amen. You know, here, you remember what he told his disciples? He took them up there, the three good ones, right? Yes, sir. The three good ones. Uh, air quotes, right? Because they, they, they thought they were the cream of the crop. Took them up there. He said, all right, I'm going over here to pray. Y'all pray. I'm going a little farther. He went, came back. What were they doing? Sleeping. How many times did he do that? Three times. Third time, remember what he said? He said, sleep on. Why? Because the son is going, is going to be offered up. In other words, he knew they were there to get him. Right? He knew it. He knew the whole thing. He, can you see him? And he told him, he said, why are you coming out here with these swords? Didn't happen when I was in the temple teaching. 
All of a sudden now you need swords for me? And he willingly went with him. Why? Because he knew. When he was being accused, he stood there and said not a word. When they mocked him, he said not a word. When they scourged him, he didn't do anything. Why? Because he knew that was the plan of God. You ready for this? Getting ready to upset you. Getting ready to mess up your philosophical theology. With that in mind, with the scourging, with him, basically them opening up his body with, with whips, with the crown of thorns, with them punching him in the face, plucking his beard out, putting on him the cross, your cross and my cross, with nailing his hands to the cross. Think about every time he would move up that cross, his open back would, would go across those splinters and those would go. Now, now here's what I'm going to tell you. He did that for you. He let them walk all over him. He let them defile him. He let them mock him. He let them basically step all over his dignity and his deity for you. You ready for this? Here's where you're going to get mad. Now tell me how God doesn't expect you to let people walk all over you. Please tell me. Please tell me in your... Your, your humanistic secular philosophy where I don't think God expects for me to let people walk all over me. Show me in the Bible where it says that. When he went to the cross and didn't let everybody do all that to him so you don't have to die and go to hell, please explain to me where you find in the Bible where God's okay with you standing up so I'm not going to let people talk to me that way. I'm not going to let people treat me that way. Show me. That's good. That's exactly what is his pride. Amen. You say you want to be like Christ? You want to be like Christ? I want to be used of God. Let me tell you what, what, let me tell you what being used of God means. People are going to use you. You don't believe it? How many of us have used God? That one probably won't be on sermon audio and get a bunch of likes. That's true. You, we, I don't think God expects people to run all over us and treat us bad. Why doesn't he? Where you got Bible for that? That's, right. That's what they did to him. You said you want to be like him. Sometimes you got to be the one to take it so that he can get glory. So his, his willingness, his willing acceptance of the necessity. Why did he do it? Well, because he had a love for the world. The only way to reconcile man to God was for him to suffer. And the fact is, with all that man has done to hurt God, he still loves us. Rashawn, I wouldn't love us. If I were God, I wouldn't love me. Would you? Would you love you? I mean, I mean, I know, I know, again, we, we live in a culture of self-love, right? You got to love yourself. I just assume God loved me. 
right? Got to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, nobody else will. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, there's a God in heaven. He said that he committed his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He loved you before you even loved yourself. We ought to love him, right? John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. Man, I have, Brother Matt, I have no identity except in him, right? I, I've got to make... I've got, to, I've got to have my own identity, and your, your identity is in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters, right? That, nothing else matters. And we miss that. Why? Because we use him. We use him to stay out of hell. But we don't want him ruling our life, do we? So he, 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 loved, the, he loved you. Listen, don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. Before you got saved, how, how vile were you? I mean, how, how much alcohol did you put in your body? How many drugs did you put in your body? How, 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 how putrid was your lifestyle? You say, not me, I got saved in church. Well, let me say this. How much pride have, I, listen, I've been, I've been a Baptist a long time. There, there's a whole lot of pride in being a Baptist. I've never, I've never put any alcohol to my lips. Well, you and that and a dollar, that and a dollar get you a cup of coffee somewhere. Man, God ain't looking up in heaven and go, well, you, you get to move up the street to the good section in heaven because you've never done that. Some of you, some, hey, some of you Baptists think, praise God, if you've not ever done drugs or never had alcohol, you're going to go, man, we're going to be up on the, we're going to be up on the uh, upper, upper east side of heaven, praise God, and you you uh, sinners, pray. You ones that've been bad life, y'all gonna be down on the other end. You might be disappointed. You might, you might be disappointed. Cause I, I believe there are gonna be some good independent fundamental King James Baptists. They probably ain't gonna be there at all. Amen. Huh? Remember, remember that Pharisee? He said, Lord, I've done all these things and I, I love you and look at how wonderful I am. And he looks at that publican and he said, I thank God I'm not as that publican. <laughs> His prayer life lot of, like a lot of ours. He names all the good stuff he's done for the Lord. Like, God, you know, just, so you, just so I can remind you about how good I am. Here's my list. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to Sunday school. I sing in the choir. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I tip the Lord with my offering. Amen. I mean, Lord, let me just remind you. He knows what you're doing. You don't have to remind him. That old Pharisee or that publican, he beat on his chest. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went to his house justified. Huh? You, you, you match yourself up beside Jesus, you won't have to be convinced how vile you are and how, how wonderful he is. But, but see, the thing is, he had to do it because he loved the world, and that's the only way that the world could be saved was Jesus Christ. So he redeems because he loves us. He doesn't owe us anything, by the way. We walk around like... You see where I'm at on Sunday night? Five o'clock, Lord, you say, I'm in church. 
What about them heathens say they love you? They don't even come to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night. Amen. I'm here on Wednesday night too. I get all kinds of credit for Wednesday night. Just so you know, I'm here, Lord. He knows. He knows why you're here. He redeems because he loves. So it's a love for the world, but then it's a love for the one. Watch this. Each of us has a personal share in that love. Now you can you can think, you can think for a moment. And we say all the time, if if I'd been the only one, Jesus would have still died. Well, that's true. But here's what I want to ask you. I want you to get real with yourself. Are you willing to accept that your sin is part of the string of sin that hung him on the cross? I mean, sometimes we're like, yes, sin. The world's sin. No, yours and mine. It's good to know if you'd been the only one, he would have went to the cross. But understand this, if you'd been the only person on earth, your sin would be the one that hung him on the cross. It still had to be paid for. So he wasn't just looking at a world that was a sinner. He was looking at you as an individual, and he was saying Shane Hatcher cannot be saved unless I die for him and Matthew Black cannot go to heaven unless I die for him and and, and the fact is uh, until we get that we don't appreciate what he's done see it's easy to be part of the crowd right we look at kids and say don't, don't fall for peer pressure well I promise you this if you put them in a group with enough people doing the wrong thing at some point in time, they're probably going to do the wrong thing. That's, right. That's why you ought to have them in the right environment. But here's what we miss. Ready for this? If they choose to do wrong, it's still their fault. We don't want to hear that. Well, I know my child, and they'd never do anything like that. Well, they did. I've got a little angel. You do know demons are fallen angels. They were angels too. Well, if it wasn't for those kids, my kid would have never done that. Your kid made a choice. Your kid's sin hung Jesus on the cross just like the mom and daddy did and the grandma and grandpa and just like the preacher, just like the associate pastor and just like the deacons and just like the trustees. May I say until you realize that this whole thing, it's easy to be part of the corporate like prime example, ready for this? Yeah, we support 125 missionaries. If you don't give to missions, you don't. If you're not praying for missionaries, you don't. Right? We, no, not we, you include yourself in the group when you actually do something in the group. Right? I'll give you another one, sports fans. When your team wins, you know what we say? Oh, we won that. You didn't play not one down. You didn't take one shot. We didn't do anything. But you let your team lose, you know what they say? Yeah, they lost that one. Brother Justin, am I right? It's like, yeah, we won. You didn't win. You didn't, you didn't play. You're a spectator. But when they lose, you know what they that boy, they lost. I can't believe they lost that game. No, and we're the same way. We like to enjoy the 
whosoever and God so loved the world when we're enjoying the benefit of the salvation. But then all of a sudden in the corporate group over here, we're saying, yeah, he died for the whole world because the whole world's the sinner. Well, you're part of the world, so you're part of the sinner. But he loved you, and if you'd, if you'd been on one, he'd have died for you because that was still enough sin to keep you out of heaven. His willing acceptance and then the necessity of his death. Well, why was it important? Well, he said that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well, you know what he's saying? It has to take place. His death was a necessity. It was necessary. Why? Well, because he's our propitiation. Propitiation means he appeased the wrath of God for you. We learned about that this morning in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, 18. That the, the, the God of the New Testament is a wrathful God. He's a merciful God, but he's a wrathful God. And, and the dividing line is Jesus Christ. If you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will face the wrath of God one day. If you do uh, accept the, the, the free gift of salvation, you'll see the grace and mercy of God. And the fact is, even if you don't accept Christ, you still enjoy the mercy of God because if it weren't for the mercy of God, you, you and I would be in hell tonight. But he appeased the wrath. God, God is, a, God is a, an angry, wrathful God because of sin. And propitiation means that the, the, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus appeased God's wrath for that by dying on the cross in your place. And so he took your place. If you don't have anything else to thank God for every morning, you ought to get up and say, I don't want to thank God for taking my place. And then finally, his power. So notice what he said. said he had to go, suffer many things, be killed, and be raised again. Man, I'll tell you what. That, I wouldn't even have to. I should not. Let me say this way. I should not even have to read the account of Jesus actually being crucified, buried, and rising again. If I believe the Bible. Here's what I mean. It says right there that he must be these things. That he must be killed. He must be raised again the third day. So even if I don't have any more of the gospel. Right, right Brother Ken. If, if we don't have the actual account. That should be enough for me to say I believe it. Because then it must be. I've come to realize this. And it is, Brother Jimmy, it's liberating. I don't have to know everything. There's some things I, I don't care about. I mean, I, re, I really don't care. I, there's, some things, there's some things people ask me about the Bible. I don't care. You say, well, how can you say that? You're a preacher. Because they're trivial. They don't matter. Right? I mean, they're good for conversation, but I'm not going to spend a lot of my, you know, hours and hours researching stuff because here's what people do. They'll ask you all these questions. Well, well what about this in the Old Testament? What about Jesus dying on the cross? That's right. 
I mean, that's, that's where people, that's what we have to, that's what we have to tell them about. I don't have to convince them of, you know, where Cain got his wife. I don't know. I had somebody, where did Cain get his wife? I don't know. Walmart? I mean, I don't know where he got her from. But it doesn't matter. What's that got to do with eternity in heaven? Right? Amen. Believe in the gap theory? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, what about the dinosaurs? They were here. Right? Brother Jimmy and I are talking about, I don't know. I don't have all the answers on that stuff. But here's what I do know. I know Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for his power of God. I know that pretty good, right? I, I can go in the Old Testament and dig some stuff out, but I'm, I'll be the first to tell you if, if this, this uh, distresses you out about your pastor that I don't know everything there is to know about that book right there, and you, you, you probably need to find another church because I ain't that guy. And I'm not going to go telling you I do know everything. And by the way, I ain't, I'm not making stuff up so you'll think I know everything. I want to know what I know. Well, what about all these other religions? I don't know about them. I don't have to know about them, right? What I, what I need to know is I need to be, I need to know so much about the Lord Jesus Christ that I can, I can identify everything that doesn't line up with him, right? I need, to, I need to be so intimate and so knowledgeable about him and the, and the word of God that the, the important things that when I hear Harris, I'm like, yeah, that ain't right. Remember what he told the disciples? He said, he said there'd be some coming later that were anti-Christ. And so if you hear he's out in the desert, he said, don't go because it ain't me. Right? Well how, well, how can you say that, preacher? How can you say that? I'll tell you exactly how. Because I know the Bible well enough to know that the first time he comes, he's coming in the clouds. He ain't coming back to earth. So you have some jack leg saying he's the Christ and everybody's running out there to follow him because, well, that, they're, they're wrong, right? Don't you fall for all that garbage. Why? Because when he comes for his church, he's coming in the clouds. He's going to rapture the church out and I'm not going to be here. Uh, so I'm, I'm out of here. And then when he comes back the second time, I'm coming with him. My friend, let me tell you this. If you're here the second time when he comes back, you're in trouble. So you better know the Bible well enough to know what it says so that you can identify and don't get caught up in all the minutiae of all the silly stuff. And people run you down rabbit trails and you'll end up spending hours and hours and researching. And here's what they do. Well, that's what I thought too. Right? Well, notice this. Let me, let me give you this. I'm done. I'm, I preached my guts out. If I ain't helped you by now, I'm, I don't know that I can. Well, why, why is this power important? Well, here's what I know. Said, said, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well, hold on. Hold on to your hats. I'm going I'm to dazzle you with something. 
to rise from the dead, you got to be dead. Am I helping you? So they didn't steal his body. Right? He died. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't the swoon theory where he just fell asleep for three days. He's not like us. Right? I mean, we, he wasn't, wasn't swoon. Well, he, he was unconscious for three days and then the third day. No, he, he was dead. Amen. Graveyard dead. That, that good Davis County said graveyard dead. Well, if you're going to rise from the dead, there's a necessity, and that is that you are. Hold on, I'm going somewhere. So we got that part, right? Well, here's the flip side of that. For us to have hope or resurrection, he has to be alive. Right? So for him to rise from the dead, he had to be dead. But for us not to be dead, he has to be alive. That's why all that's important. See, it's not enough that he did all these miracles, went to a cross, died on the cross, and was buried because there were two malefactors on each side that, that they didn't live a perfect life, but they both died on each side. On a cross, by the way. Don't leave him on the cross. And they were buried, correct? Yes, sir. The difference was he's alive. Yes, sir. Buddha is dead yes. and in a grave. Muhammad, Confucius, name whoever you want to, David Koresh, whoever you want to name as a god, right? They're dead. They're in the grave. See what makes Jesus different? is that he's not in the grave anymore. And so he had to die, right? He had to die to rise again, but he had to rise again so that you don't die eternally. That's the power of his death. He couldn't just proclaim, well, all of you guys, you know, y'all are all good, y'all going to heaven. No, he had to die in your place so that you could live but in order to have, for you to live, he has to be alive. And in order for him to be alive, he had to rise from the dead. And in order to rise from the dead, he had to be dead. So this evening, he showed his power because nobody else has ever done that. Nobody else has the power. They, they can die. They can take their own life. But the fact is, he's the only one that had enough power to rise from the dead. Now, here's what I want to end with. Well, you say, well, that's good. Well, here's, here's what you got. Because you're a believer, because you're his, you have the same resurrection power. The same power that gave him enough power to rise from the dead, you've got that inside of you. Right? So don't tell me you can't live this life victorious for Christ. See, you choose not to. Well, no, I don't, preacher. Yeah, you do. Because the same power, if it's enough power to raise him from the dead... Don't tell me it's not enough power to, for you to live victorious in this day we're living. See? So, the, the, the Christ foresaw the cross, and that's what he's talking about in verse 21. He's saying, look, boys, I'm going to the cross, and I've got to suffer in the hands of these guys. I must go to Jerusalem. I must do this. I must die, but I must rise again. Amen. 
That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. That's why we have hope. That's why we come on a Sunday night at 5 o'clock and, and come to church and worship God. That's why we hand out tracts. That's why we give to missions. It's not a checklist. It's that we, we serve a God that's alive. Because he's alive, I have victory. Victory in Jesus. Let's stand together. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. As Susan's coming. You can, you can live victorious if you want to. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, there's step one. You've got to know him as your personal Savior. Step two, I've got to believe that he's given me the power through the Holy Spirit of God to live victorious in this life. And then I got to do it. Got to do it. You come. God laid something on your heart. You come pray, whatever it is.